Welcome ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Constos Convos podcast. Hi folks, this is Consto from Consto's Convos, another new podcast on the way. Really excited to get going with this one. This one's my friend Dom. Dom is a man of many talents and we'll start from the beginning and hopefully work towards what he's doing these days. Dom, how are you doing? Good to be here. This is my first podcast. So First podcast ever? First podcast ever. Me and John talked about doing one for for ages we're like we should do a podcast but we can never think of anything like a, like a good constant subject but well uh, you've yeah, got I, I, you've got many strings to your bow mate you're kind of when i first met you which i just checked the other day how long ago do you think we met i was quite surprised seven 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 or eight years the wedding we, i met dom at a wedding that was photographing he was a videographer I was obviously capturing it as a photographer, and that yeah. was the year 2011. Really? Aye. Blimey hell. Getting old. That's crazy. I'm getting old. 38 now. I'm 39 in June. Feeling it. <laughs> well, Actually, that, that, that wedding, um, without going into too much detail, because we shouldn't tell people. <laughs> well, you don't just don't have to give away names, but it's fine. You just don't have to give away names, but I don't think that that worked out. I think it was you told me that, that it didn't really... Well, unfortunately, <laughs> as you know, many weddings don't last. I know, I know. And I think people would be going, I'm going to talk about stuff like that, but see as somebody who captures weddings, like you've done it through video and I've done it through the photos. Yeah. You get very attached to the couple and the whole idea of their marriage. I think, especially me, because I'm with them so much and I think, mm. you know, that how you interact and stuff like that, just you create a bond with these people. I think all my clients, I've just, I've always got this bond with them and I'm always sad because there's some ones that I never get to see again just through circumstance. And when I hear that they've split up, I always, it's like a little punch to the stomach, I think. See, I never quite... It would depend on the couple. It was always for me, like, if I liked them, if I just kind of took a liking to them. I really liked because, them at that one, so... Yeah, they were nice. I, they were... They, I remember the, the bride, obviously, we're not naming names, but I do remember <laughs> her, and she she was she was nice. And I, I, I suppose I never... It was a different sort of discipline, so I never spent as much time with, the, with them as you did. Absolutely, so really, absolutely. When I, if I got to like them, it would just be on the day where I just happened to think they were quite nice. I quite like them. You just kind of stood in the back, more hands-off, I feel like. You're more in the background as well when you're doing yeah. that with the video. I think... Definitely. It's like, obviously, I think the better you get photography, a camera can just be an extension of literally your mind and your eye. You know, it's hanging off the end of my hand and I don't even need to look at most of it. I double check stuff. I just get dead used to it. So a lot of photography Mm. is actually keeping in contact with people, how you interact with them. Because they can bore easily. You're trying to get really good expressions. So you're cracking jokes and you're just connecting with you as... You're setting up audio, you're doing videos, and video needs to be in tripods. There's just so much, and you actually don't yeah, do I, any yeah. talking to them, basically, do you? No, not really. I, I uh, It's a distraction, to be honest. I know. It's like, I'm not... See, the thing is, it's a different... I always thought that when, when I was doing that, that it was like, the photographer has to kind of have this ability to Talk boss shit. people about. Well, you need to, you're basically telling, you're bossing them about, but you've got to have a sort of a personality where people don't really mind getting bossed about. Yeah, you know, oh, that's, yeah. that's fine. Uh, whereas I never quite, 
you know, I always liked that. And that was the one part that was, there was things about photography that I kind of envied that I was like, you know, when, when I see a photographer stoting about with one camera and I've got like eight yeah. kit bags and I'm like, God, I wish, Heavy bags. you know, that would be, that would be nice. But at the same time, I've got this sort of ability to step back from it a little bit and, yeah. and, and, and look at it more kind of a cold sort of way. So it, it worked for me. It was just a natural thing like, to go from uni into it because it was a way to make money. It was a way to come out and, and well, you, you know, make, you, a, make a living. You say that, but I know you well and I know you've got a passion for movies as well. So I don't yeah, think well, yeah, yeah. that obviously goes hand in hand. So you are a very, I would actually consider you a very, quite a classy video, your footage and your edited footage. I thought it was quite nice and straight up which I prefer because people yeah. can get overly gimmicky with both photography and video. And I just, I wouldn't say my stuff is gimmicky, but because I, you know I me, mean, like I talk shit and stuff. So I probably get quite natural stuff and I like to get in close and stuff. So I get quite mm-hmm. good candid things, but I'm quite a quiet person. And as you said there, a photographer needs to boss people a wee bit, but I didn't see his boss. And I just like keeping it light that people could be themselves because traditionally, and even to this day, photographers are kind of barky. You used to call them like sergeant majors where they're barking orders at people and stuff. And I hate that, man. That's one of my kids oh, I, I do, that, you, do that. And I don't I, even like that. I used to know this lady. Um, again, her name escapes me. I would never obviously mention her name, but the way she used to, she was a photographer. Yep. And the way she used to speak to people when she was trying to get her pictures, it was on, it was unbelievable. <laughs> it was, it was mortifying. Uh, I mean, you like were, you're, and the way she was talking to people, and she used to wind every, like everybody got wound up. She didn't let you know it was. She didn't, she didn't like her customers, and she would openly say that to me, not in front of them, but she. Would, <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, it's not going to be much fun. What a life you know, doing this every day. Yeah. She was a good photographer, by the way. Her pictures were great, but the, the the effort that it took to get them, and what she would put people through to get them, I just thought, this is, what a miserable way to do it. What you know, it's meant to be fun. The this, the weddings, I always kind of my attitude towards it was like, if I'm going to be here, I might I, I want to do it well. There's no point in, in you know going through the motions. No, I mean, I, I have a great time at most of mine. There are obviously some that are maybe flat on others or you maybe just don't quite connect with most people, but the vast, vast majority of them, I love it. I love doing it. I like taking photographs, but I, I love, and that's why we're kind of doing this today is I love talking to people. I love finding out. Like, I met you and I'm like, wow, we we kind of knocked it off. It was my brother that was helping me as well, wasn't he? I think so, aye. I. I and right. you had your brother at other weddings, so it's funny yeah. how that worked out. But I want to ask you, obviously in our video, you don't really, are you doing any these days? No, not right now. Um, I At the moment, I've just been doing TV production. I have been toying with the idea of, I made a, I actually made a feature length about five years ago. Actually, longer than that now. It's maybe six, six seven years ago, actually. Just over this kind of this kind of pandemic period, I've been thinking about maybe making a short film again, maybe going out and filming something. So, and speaking to John about it, and I'm just like, right, okay, we've got this idea. So why don't we just kind of find a way to do it, but just do it for fun? You know, I don't, I don't want to. A per- when you're actually, like a personal project. Yeah, personal project because it's like when you're actually in production, you're working on if it's a radio show or it's a TV show or whatever. There's all these things that come into it. There's all these departments. There's all these people with notes and ideas and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's just the way it is. And it's nice to just, why don't we just go and make something just the way we want to make it? 
where we don't have to worry about this set of notes coming in or that set of notes coming in. It's just like, we'll just make it and we'll do what we think we think is good just for the fun of it. I've been kind of toying with that and John's been kind of keen on doing maybe maybe doing some sort of YouTube series and we've got a few ideas for that. But again, it would just be, it'd just be for the fun of it. I just to make them. Yeah, but obviously when you... the fun is probably when you create your best work, isn't it? Well, yeah, that, that's true. That, that's true. Um, the, the big sort of challenge you get when you're actually in sort of larger productions is it's you got a lot of minds you got a lot of people yep. and they're all wanting it to be good yeah and they've all got ideas on how to make it better <laughs> fighting with each and other and that doesn't necessarily you know reconcile with with what you think and you have to kind of find a way through all that and then you just have to hope at the end of it when that's all done that it actually comes out and it's good <laughs> but uh by the time you've you have uh made something at that level you have worked on it for so long and for so for so many drafts and over you just have, you have no idea if anyone is even going to like it at that point because you just know it inside out. Do you know what I've, it's it's yeah it's a strange thing. Do you know it's funny you just saying that like I love reading about movies and things and just when you said people have got their ideas and stuff you're reading about movies that you love such famous you know movies that are going to be known for basically ever right and you you find out that certain actors and big names as well that have acted in these movies and they've been cut right earth it. Yeah. You know, the, the scenes that, that they never done, never made it, and you just think, holy shit, there's like a classic movie and, you, and you've worked there, you've been there for maybe months, you've acted, you've been a, there, and yeah. you don't make the movie and you just be like, I, I think, well, I'm like, oh man, hurt. that would be a kick in the balls, wouldn't it, after... Well, well, I'll tell you a story about that. My mate Chris, who's an actor, he's actually from Clyde Bank. And you guys are a similar age. I've always wondered if, if at some point your paths have crossed. I don't know on, him what... too much. I know he he's one of these guys, like, you know, you've got in life, he's friends of friends. Right. He's a he, guy that you know of. And but I, you don't he know actually used yet. to work in a pharmaceutical. He was a legal pharmaceutical dealer like myself at one point. There used to be a, oh, a pharmacy warehouse in Clyde Bank. That actually where I kind of met my wife and a lot, right. a lot of my mates worked in there, like local guys. And I started in there after he had left. So a couple of my pals were pals with him. And I actually well, done he... some photography at the local boxing club. And I think he was doing a wee bit of training in there. Yeah, and I've he does, got, he I've got some, he does that, I'll get yeah. some photographs of him uh, breathing out his ass really? in the picture I've got anyway. But uh, you should listen, send me those, and I'll I'll ping them over to him. I think he was there he... to more lose weight than actually hone his skills as a boxer. I feel like and yeah, he's just done this. He's just lost a crazy amount of weight for some this. He's this a, I can't I can't say he's a really good actor. He's a really oh, good actor. Oh, he's brilliant. And we knew each other from. He was in Amdrams. He was doing amateur dramatics at the was it the King's Theatre? And I, I kind of my my sister in law was in one of those productions, and I was making this little John and I we'd written this this sitcom, and we, we put it out there to people, and they all said, "Oh, it's really funny, but we don't want to make it." Yeah. We're like, well, at least you think it was funny. So then I said, well, why don't we rewrite it as like a radio comedy, and that way we can get some microphones, and we can maybe find some actors, and we can just do it ourselves and make it for free through that kind of process I met him he was in the Amdrams and it was my sister-in-law said look there's this guy oh just for your listeners a guy called Chris Riley the actor that's who I'm talking about <laughs> and uh, he was at the King's Theatre doing Oliver and he didn't really have any acting experience but he auditioned for Bill Sykes and he got the part quite a big and part my, you got the mate yeah. you got the, you know, one of the biggest parts and my sister-in-law was like yeah he just you know he, he's really not done anything before and he was he was fantastic so Even I, I said even in those days, I mean, Aye, okay. obviously he's a lot better now. He subsequently went off to he won he won a Scottish BAFTA was it last year I think I seen him on and, Games, uh, Game of Thrones just randomly. He was on 
he was on Game of Thrones. Bad EastEnders. <laughs> He did, he did an episode of EastEnders, so that's a good... He wasn't too pleased with that. But he done, uh, he's, he did this movie called Everest uh, with, oh man, Jake Gyllenhaal and Josh Brolin, and it was wow. a, a good, good few years ago now. And uh, he was on the set for a while, and, and, and uh, I remember and I saw a sort of a, a, a piece on it in Empire magazine, and it was a, there was a sort of double-spread picture, and I went, I think that's him in the picture. So anyway, film comes out, his entire part was cut from the film. He was like, I went to the movie and I wasn't even, you know, I wasn't in it, you oh. know. So, but you know, since then he's done, uh, you know, a That's lot amazing. of stuff. He's more, it's... he's more than made up for it. But it's, it's a brutal, brutal business. It's, it's a hard. I mean, for example, the thing he was on that he's just finished, mm-hmm. he that almost fell apart because he couldn't get a visa to get into the country where he needed to film, and they were literally filming his part with body doubles while he was stuck here. Uh, and it was like crazy frustrating. It worked out in the end. He managed to get on, and it was it all kind of worked out. But it's a it's a bizarre industry. It really is. Funny because you've got Chris from Claybank, and you've got James McAvoy from Drumchapel, which is obviously borders Claybank as well, and two yep. local guys. And God, what we were watching the other night, it the sequel to it, uh, yeah. And he's in that. I've not seen it. I love that. I like that sort of thing. But um, I just remember the movies he shows up in. Another great actor, and I'm just thinking, God, another boy from up the road for me doing this thing. I think, yeah, I, I honestly, a mate of mine, he was at drama school with with James McAvoy. I I honestly think he's one of the the greatest actors of his generation. He's superb. He really he's, is. There's, no, there's it's nobody a, out there. It's a who, wide range who, of roles, isn't it? Oh, he's yeah. doing his, he's, he's not just a typecast guy, you know. He's, he's absolutely, he is, really is. He's absolutely superb. He's 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 like a different level. It's great to see, you know, you see it someone does. from it does. Yeah. Over, the, over this neck, this neck of the woods who's so good. Well, me, me and you both support Celtic, but um, I've got such great admiration for Alex Ferguson. Because I believe he's oh, yeah. one of the finest football managers ever, and I always says, and I'll say it to my mates, obviously, because I'm not that involved in the whole Celtic and Rangers things these days. But they always, oh, he's a Rangers man and stuff, and all that, I know, but he's probably one of the greatest managers ever at football, and he was born and brought up across the water for me, you know, across the river. Ah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would, I would say he's he's the greatest manager. I I don't think there's these sort of big debates over who the greatest football manager ever. I don't think anyone could argue no. that it's not Alex Ferguson. I, I think the, the it's not just the success, it's the long decades of success. Uh, I mean, even like, success everywhere. St. Mon, Aberdeen. Yeah. You look at like, you know, like Jock Steen so. and all the years he had, but then when he went to Leeds, and uh, you know, uh, Ferguson studied under Jock Steen. And the Ferguson was that, was said that in an interview, what was that at Scotland? Scotland. It was Scotland. At Scotland, it? and he said, "I said I would. He said I would happily. He says if Jockstein was still alive and he was still managing, I would happily be his assistant. I would happily go back to being his assistant and not be a football manager. I would be. That would be fine for me. I remember seeing an interview with him talking about that. Cool, he's it? just got that kind of. He's he's got a dead. I've I've seen a lot of interviews with him, and he's just. What I think's brilliant with him is he he looks at things so simply. He doesn't. He doesn't complicate it. I always remember France '98, and it was the eve of the, of the of the finals, and he was on a panel with John Barnes and someone else. I can't remember. But they they were asking them like, you know, this was when like Michael Owen was was on the scene and all these things, and yeah. you know, the, the the first of all, who right should should England play Michael Owen tomorrow? And 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 John Barnes and another guy were going, yeah, definitely, definitely. 
and then Alex Ferguson, they said, what do you think? And he went, no. <laughs> you know, not just that Glasgow way. <laughs> and they went, why? And he went, well, Shearer and Sheringham between them have scored like 40-odd goals. Why are you wanting to change that? And there was just this long pause, you know, where everyone kind of went, oh, yeah, that, that's kind of right. They got caught up in the, 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 the idea, whereas he just thought about it logically. And then I always remember, they said, right, who do you think is going to go to the final? And they were saying, oh, it's Brazil, England, it'll be Holland, England. And they then say he England said, every year, but to be fair. <laughs> they do. But then he said Brazil, France. And everyone looked at him like he was a weirdo because at that time, France, I don't know if you remember, but as good a team as they were, nobody thought the French they would popped win the World up. Cup. They popped up. And you know what? I think I was actually photographing, I think it was, was that Teen the Park maybe that year? 98. <sighs> Let me think. Right, Teen the Park had been going four or five years at that point. Uh, but I think I, not, I think literally the final was on when I was covering the event. I'm a music guy as well and a football guy, so you're trying to catch both. But I think that was one of the first, if not the first, team the part I done. And I was starstruck. I was meeting people. Like I met everybody backstage in the media. But they were given free booze in those days, sandwiches. I loved it, man. Um, well, and all these I bands. was at that team the park. I was at that team in the park. I was about, what would it, I'd have been like 17 years old or something like that. I was working in you erect. Uh, <laughs> I think I took the car, mate. I think I took the car. <laughs> no, I remember Pulp played the night of the final and Jarvis Cocker, because there was a lot of, when France won the game, there was a lot of the guys in the French team played in the Premiership at that point. Yep. Uh, including the, one of the guys that scored the goal played for Arsenal. But anyway, he came out and said... France has just won the World Cup for England because what he meant by that was <laughs> look at all these guys, they all playing out and then he started getting booed and you know it just all turned to poison in about 20 seconds because you know you don't say that to a Scottish audience and then full circle Jarvis Cocker I kind of met years later at the Sony Awards when he was sitting at the table opposite me Did you um, talk to him? Again, not particularly. I sort of... Um, he I sort you. of No, he didn't ding <laughs> me. He was standing there getting autographs and posing for pictures all night. Yeah. I, I smiled and nodded and acknowledged him, and that was about it, really. I met do. Ronnie Woods. I met Ronnie Woods at a urinal, which was interesting, because I always thought, if you're going to meet one of the Rolling Stones, well, it's got to be at a urinal, doesn't it? <laughs> so he was standing beside me, and I started talking to him, and yeah... That was good. That was good. I met, a lot, I met like quite, quite a lot of famous people that night. I know. I still get starstruck. I remember me and my brother won... Well, I won tickets for the Celtic-Barcelona Champions League game years ago. And on the way there, we were running late and we started to run through the crowd to get there because we wanted to see kick-off and stuff. And I remember literally... And when I say bump, I probably ran more into him was uh, Peter Mullen, the actor. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, I grabbed, and I grabbed him, but he must be like, what the hell is this? And I grabbed him, I'm like, oh, Mr. Mullen, how are you doing, sir? And he's like, come on, the hoops. He was dead happy. I get first, it was like the shock faces of what's happening here. And then obviously that. And then my brother met Frank McAvenny as well that day. Oh, that was a good who's night. The most famous, who's the most famous person you've ever met? What do you mean, met, seen, or talked to? I would say you have to have at least spoke to them in some capacity. Oh. So, oh, nice to meet you, or a smile, you put, or you a put handshake. Me in the spot. And... I've met some people, like, personal, like, obviously, you could say he's really famous, but he doesn't really mean so much to me. I've met guys, like, I really like boxing, and obviously I like Scottish boxing. I, met, I remember meeting Ken Buchanan on a photo shoot, mm-hmm. but the coolest thing was that we had a long conversation, just the two of us, and he, he told me some serious stuff, you know, financial difficulties and everything, and just right. just life, and I was like, wow, I can't believe he's talking to me, because I was just left college at the time doing that but famous wise I don't know mate did you not meet Calvin Harris or something like that I met him point? but I don't like him 
So I don't talk no, about no. him. No, that's why I'm bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I just found out that he is literally, I believe he's like the richest DJ in the world or something. Uh, I can believe that. He's he, he made like 40 odd million in one year. I think it came up in Ford's magazine because obviously a few of my pals know the story. They always wind me up. Oh, oh, did you see him? And I'm like, can't fault the guy. He was going out to Taylor Swift. He's making tens of millions. He's got new well, white teeth. He's not getting Scottish lucky. teeth anymore. He doesn't, he doesn't have Scottish teeth anymore. He got his Scottish teeth fixed. Hi. <laughs> I met Arnold Schwarzenegger once. Wow, he's up there. I would say he's probably one of the top guys. That's amazing. He's the only. That's the only time in my life I was I was genuinely starstruck when I met someone. I I was genuinely just because I grew up, you know, as a little kid and you're watching Commando and all these. Everton is his movies, his persona, his bodybuilding, his politics. Yeah. Not that I'm a big politics or anything. I just mean what that guy done. His life story is fascinating. He's very likable. He's and a I, I, charisma I coming stuck. out of his ears. Uh, yeah, do you know what I mean? He's just so you know thinking like when I'm you know a little kid and you you know so I was I was properly starstruck Where was when that? I met him. It was uh, it was in Watson's bookstore on Ox- Oxford Street in London, and so I came out of a meeting. I had like a, a meeting at Radio Four. This is going back like by chance. You s- met Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was, it was pure. It was purely <laughs> by chance. So I went down for this meeting, Vanessa came with me, that's my wife, and um, I came out to meet her, and then she said, do you want to go down, she wanted to go down Oxford Street, so I was like, fine, so we went past the Watsons, and there was this queue of people, and then we asked the guy at the door, what, what are they queuing for, and they went, oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's in signing his book. You were like, who's that? Well, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so we thought, well, we're never going to get, the guy says, listen, that's it, we've called it, you can't get in. So Vanessa was like, yeah, right, and she, <laughs> we basically just snuck around behind the guy, grabbed a cop and people had queued for hours we literally just this all happened in the space of like two minutes it was that quick what from walking past the door his autobiography uh, which I can't remember the name of so we grabbed a copy of it off the shelf and we basically skipped and were up in front of him within about two minutes from from having walked past the door and someone telling me Arnold Schwarzenegger's in there it was that quick you're quite you're a bit on par with me height wise you're quite tall is he tall because there was a lot of he, controversy he was sitting down he was sitting down you didn't tell him books. to stand up no he had two right, <laughs> he had two big minders like two big guys on either side of him flanking him he was sitting down and he had there was these speakers on either side playing music quite loudly and Aust- the reason Austrian that folk was music no I don't remember <laughs> but the point was it was so you couldn't stop and talk to him for very long because of the noise of the music that was the idea to make you go away because there would be like hundreds of people wanting them to sign his yeah, book, so it was like getting in and out. So yeah, I mean, I, I went up and I I, I shook you, his hand and said, you know, it's great to, and the broadest Scottish accent ever. And he looked, he just had no idea. He just he looked at me like, what did you just say? And shook my hand. And then Vanessa did the same. Vanessa got a picture. I've got a picture. And then uh, Vanessa shook his hand, and he was on the Graham Norton show, and that was the Wednesday. Uh-huh. And he did the Graham Norton show on the Friday, and Vanessa was loaded with a cold. And then he came on Graham Norton and started complaining on the show about how he'd come down with a cold. So Vanessa's convinced herself that she gave she gave Arnold Schwarzenegger the cold. So not a, not, thankfully so yeah, not the coronavirus. Thankfully not that. But yeah, I was starstruck. That's the only time I can genuinely say I was. I, I think was, you'd win in um, that one. I think you'd. I can't think anybody to top Big Arnie. Yeah. I was going to say you going back to this mate because we had a quick chat earlier and I wanted to 
touch on more like what you say tv production but specifically is it it's is writing you're doing or isn't it yeah so at the moment i'm just i'm just a full-time script writer i i've been working on a children's show for the last kind of couple of years that's still in pre-production obviously coronavirus hasn't made things any easier but Aye. that's just where we are a lot of things in development i made a pilot last year for bbc scotland uh, and so right now that's kind of just what i'm focusing on um, so how does that happen? Do, were you a writer before you done video or is this something that you oh developed? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How it all kind of came about was I wanted, I was I was always kind of good at, st- I wasn't very good at much, I was at school, in school I was good at history, music and English. And I always remember in English class, my stories would always get read out. Awesome. Like I would write a, sh- I would write a short story and they would always read mine out. And I never found that too difficult. I always went, you know, it just sort of came sort of naturally to me and I really liked history, but then I realised... I think the reason I liked it was because it was stories. That's all his- history is just stories. They're just real stories passed that on. happened. I passed on. Passed on ch- stories. So I really, I, yeah, so like, oh, I love a good story. And it was the same with music as well, because story, stories, music is just another form of storytelling. It's just a more abstract way, but it is oh, storytelling. So, That's what jazz is, isn't so, it? They say jazz is just basically, if you listen to it, and a lot of people are like, oh, I can't listen to it. It's like yeah, it's somebody so, talking, yelling, crying, or whatever, just through the medium of music, isn't it? But yeah, well, exactly. Sense. So, so it just sort of these sort of things. So, I wanted to be. I thought it was. I wanted to be a session musician. That's what I decided I was going to do. But I just, I never felt very happy. Like I was, I, I, I was sort of self-taught. I never had any. Then when I got to sort of higher level. Uh, uh, there was a guitar instructor who was teaching me because the stuff I had to do to pass the exam was quite complicated. So he was like, right, you need a wee bit more instruction. And I wanted to be a session musician. And then he said to me, look, the, the chances of, you know, Keith Richards breaking both arms and then you getting drafted in to do a tour with the Rolling Stones is basically mm-hmm. non-existent. He says, if, you, if you're going to be a session musician, fine, but you're going to have to teach as well if you ever if you ever want to make a living. And I didn't really want to teach. I didn't really think I had the, 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 the skill set for it or the patience. So it was either that or go and study film and television. Uh, my dad had been a sketch writer. My dad was a tradesman, but he, on the side, he would he used to write sketches for shows like Scotch and Rye and Naked Video, Not the Nine O'Clock News. Your dad and, is, to me, I've only met your father once. Uh, I came yeah, round yeah, to photograph. we done a family <laughs> shoot. And you said, uh, we'll just do it in my dad's back garden. He's got a nice Mm. garden. Now, Mm. I've heard that quite a few times. What is a nice garden to have sitting, maybe having a drink or something? And actually photographing it is two different things. So if I can go on, it's just a big fence with grass. It's not the most interesting. Your dad's garden is up there with the very best I've ever seen. It's like a... Magical place, isn't it? <laughs> uh, it's like a forest. It's bizarre. You just, it's a the, the, the magic the magic forest. Just with this. House got, yeah, it was the house got built. Because you're going back to like 1990, but it was just built on the ed- edge of this woodlands. And my mean, dad said to the builder, "Would you build? Would you build me a much bigger fence so I can just take in all those trees?" And they just went, "Yeah, right." And they just done it for him at no extra cost. Uh, he, but he's done a lot with those trees as well, hasn't he? Just his, his woodworking and his art pieces and stuff, it was brilliant. Oh, yeah. Mate. Oh, yeah, he's 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 very handy. You know, well, he's always, always, always been like that. He's always been like that. He just, like he's, that, he struck know? me as, like, a, he's quite a, a zany personality, which I really like. <laughs> really nice guy, but uh, definitely out there intelligently, you know, and I really like that. You know that way? It's oh, like, I... people could maybe be not ashamed but a wee bit nervous of some of the artistic endeavours and stuff but see when people do it so freely it's amazing and it says he had done stuff for like your daughter so the kids could see things yeah I think he had like the old 
like an old wood shack. He'd done his work, and it was I love the all the old tools and stuff, and just uh, it was amazing the smell of the wood and everything. That was a really good shoot, actually. Ah, uh, he's um, well, I, I, you know, he's from for the east end of Glasgow, you know. So, but I, I, one way or another, he decided that he wanted to have a crack at writing, and he started writing sketches, like on the side. He never did it professionally. Yep. Well, professionally in the sense that he was getting paid, but never enough to like this is what I do for a living. This is my job. Yep. He was doing it. He was getting some money, but not. So he did that, and then I got the opportunity. I I, I enrolled in a, a sort of a film studies course at university, and then this little radio show came up for Radio Scotland, and they'd sent a letter to my dad and said, "Oh, do you want to write some sketches for this?" Because he was still on their list, and he said, "Well, no, not really." But oh, my two sons, uh, or rather my three sons, because my oldest brother he was writing sketches at the time. You know, they they'll do it if, if you're up for letting them submit stuff so they said sure we just started putting in sketches so all the when, way when through uni I, oh god that's got to be like 1990 when did I start uni well wait Adrian roughly I mean more I'm, I'm trying to 17, get more 17 I was 17 crazy. 17 18 I might I might have even been younger than that 17 18 man I was probably still running about the streets drinking Bucky or something I don't think I so was that but, but, but I was still writing sketches I just getting bad I, but I just I never I thought it was very throwaway in those days I never like delved in the stuff I, was, I think listening to music probably at that time but I just when I hear that I'm just thinking wow I love hearing people with, with discipline to do these great things well it was you know sketches were f- good to a point you know, yeah, I don't I, even mean I, that, I, but writing it down at least. I mean, like, maybe yeah, me and yeah. my friends would talk about stuff and all these funny things you'd laugh, and then the next day it was all forgotten about. But, I mean, just to have the discipline to sit down and write it and make it better and stuff at such a young age is a, actually a pretty cool thing. Because then, now as you move on, you're doing stuff at a high, much higher level that people maybe might say, oh, I'll start writing. I've, quite, I've always fancied doing writing. But you've, hmm. you know let that grow over the space of a long time, couple of decades anyway. Oh, easily. I mean, I wonder, you know, if if you come from that sort of background. Well, you've got the background and then you've got, uh, that helps obviously get the early start, but that can actually force you away from it if it's maybe felt it's forced upon you. So you want to get away from it. But if your dad made it light and it was something cool and you grow up with and then you develop at a young age and move forward, that's how you get real good skills. A lot of footballers, actually, if you look, obviously, a lot of ones with poor backgrounds, but lots of them is because their dad was there, their dad was a player, maybe not to the same level, but they just grow up in that and you're in the nest and it just becomes very natural to you. So that's maybe where yeah. you got it from. I think what it did, it, it gave us the confidence to try it didn't teach us anything about the industry, how the industry works, all the knocks, all the disappointments, all the things you're going to have to yeah. put up with. Because ultimately, you know, my dad had success to a point, but then there was when it came to, well, how do you make a living out of this? That's a whole different thing. And one thing I noticed that when you when you do go down and you start working, you start working with production companies and stuff in London, you, you meet, you meet, everyone around you seems to have just been born into it. You know, their their dad was like a TV producer, yeah. or their mum was a was a, you know, was an exec or something like that. But you see that like... with a lot of things, Dominic too. Like you can go into a lot of factories in local towns and stuff. Actually, mm-hmm. you get in, you get in. Somebody's auntie got you in. I think that's just life. People tend to trust people. You know what? 
the NHS does stuff like that to this day as well. If you know somebody well, and then yeah. you get in, that's just life. But I think that they try and say, you know, it's very lovey-dovey, especially down London and stuff. But again, it's not always privileged yeah. background. It's maybe just people know, that grow up and it's something that they know what you have to do. It's like the, the end secrets. Now things have opened up the internet, but back in the day, as I said, sort of it's day, it is, it's and it's passionate it's on and you wouldn't have known before. How, understanding how an industry works because you had someone in your family who did it it's so much it's so much you you get somewhere so much quicker you've got you've got to be good at what you do and you've got to put in the work regardless but understanding it all it's you know i often thought you know if we i mean even little things like how how you get an agent how you accomplish something like that i mean when you don't come from that kind of background is very very difficult mate you're talking Um, to a photographer from clay bank right now, if you well, meet well, me, exists, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Eh? Well, because... everybody always says to me, like, and I, I didn't understand this at first, and it wasn't until like it said a few times, and then years have passed, and I used to get quite a lot. You don't look like a photographer, and I'm like, was a photographer like? It was the way I dressed, you know. Even when I was at college, that I was told to dress a bit like a Ned and stuff, and just I used to wear sports gear and things. And even to this day, like I'm not a. a I think people now think a photographer is somebody that's like a hipster. You're, you're all. You know, yeah, tweed jackets and just, just the, the full, the full shebang. You know, man bun and all this. But I'm, I'm not. I just turn up in my shorts, my shorts, sorry, my jeans and my my shirt and a pair of nice shoes or whatever. I'm just not one of these guys, and I, I get it quite a lot. And it wasn't until I quite realised is is it's a persona and things. So you had a guy like me. I just see it in my pants. Still do photography, but I was so lucky that I made really good relationships with people because I was totally and utterly clueless. I was lucky I actually had a couple of mentors that helped me early on through college and my early career and things that took me under the wing and explained stuff to me as well because I was just like, fuck, I am so, I'm still clueless, man, still learning. People are looking for me for advice and I'm like, don't follow what I've done basically because I don't know how I got here and I don't know how I keep on doing it. To be honest, I, I don't think anybody does. I, I, I don't think, I, I think that's just a major lesson in life. I think most people who kind of get somewhere or have some success in their life think, wait a minute, how did this happen? Because you start Cause it usually, you're... is what I find that if you want to do something, I tell my kids all the time, listen, you guys are capable to do anything you want. I says, but you mm. just need to want it and you need to work towards it and you need to keep on doing it. You know, enthusiasm and doing it. When you don't want to do it, do it. And that's how you get good, and that's how you achieve great things. It's just keep on doing it. Well, this is the big challenge. I mean, my kids are much younger than yours, but, uh, you know, I don't know what more you can do than just try to set an example yourself and just say, uh-huh. well, look, you know, this is what I've done. So, I mean, uh, take take from that what you will. You <laughs> don't, know, I, 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 don't take my example. I'm trying to make... Well, well yeah, I don't mean like, don't, you know, when you were 15. I, I mean like... I'm talking as a dad just now. I'm like, yeah, but uh, you're you're self-employed. You're a photographer. You're like you're you're from a family and a background where not many people go on to do something like that. All my family on both sides, the Macedonians, the Scots, both of them are farmers. Is that right? Uh, All my grandparents lived in farms. Do you know not a bad life being well hard work being a farmer, but it's a good life if you can make it work. My grandfather hated it and moved on and my dad hated it my dad grew up on a farm till he was about 16 i think and then he sort of farming uh, well you just lived in a farm i think my dad says they done like potatoes it was a big thing they had just livestock for the 
to milk and their cheese. My dad's job was he used to milk the goats in the morning, and he, <laughs> he, he hates milk. He's like, I fucking hate his ass. That's why he's asked when I left when I got to like whatever age he was. He says, That's why I left for Canada. He says, I had to get out of there. He says, I hate, I hate. And he's like, But he goes back thinking of the goats, milk, and things. It was just, that's what they had to, it wasn't so much like you, you didn't farm to sell, you, you sort of farmed to live, if you know, to supplement yourself. And you maybe sold spare crops and things and you share. Hmm. Like, so that's when my dad's people took to Canada. They all started like gardens. My dad was really good at growing vegetables and spices and stuff. And every time we'd visit, you know, cousins and uncles and stuff, they'd always swap a big bag of produce and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, top notch, really good at growing the vegetable. And it was like, that's what we kind of had at it growing up. But as I said, all my uh, family were, were kind of tradesmen. You know, my dad was, he was an electrician and then he went on to become a general manager. He ended up becoming very successful, but he started out as, a, as a, an electrician. And he was saying to me, you know, where he came from. To be, everyone, everyone from his background, you'd be a manual labourer. Yeah, well, I mean, that was the I actually that was spoke the best. to your dad about that story as well because I actually knew this as well. I think some guys are surprised because I'm a bit of an old head because I like talking to especially the older ones and understand things that, or learn from them quite a lot. And I knew in those days that you were tested to get certain trades and things. You weren't just yeah, kind of, right. it wasn't the equal opportunities, which it was in a way, but it was more for your intelligence. They used to take a lot of the smart working class boys were getting jobs like the Sparks and stuff because there was a lot of maths required and obviously the danger and things. Um, mm-hmm. So he was quite surprised and he told me the actual the story, how he became. And he says, and quite humbly, he tells me that he passed this exam and get one of the top marks because he had a head start due to his age, just the way it worked out, I think. It mm-hmm. kind of overlapped. So he says, I just got the chance to learn things a wee bit more. And I thought I was quite humble because I don't particularly believe that, but um, that was his thing. So that was cool talking about things like that. Because obviously my grandfather worked in Singer's factory, so they all moved to Claybank to work in industry. So all my family do have that thing, but just the, when he goes back before that, they were on a farm out in Aberfoyle, which I've done a few weddings my, Yeah. My granny, my granny, my dad's mother, told my dad he many, once he was many years after he'd grown up that her proudest achievement in life was that none of her sons went to prison because in the, in the area that they grew up, every single family had at least one son in prison. That was just a given, that they would end up in trouble, you know, wrong side of the fence, whatever it is, and end up in jail. Do you know and what that's like? It was, just what you uh, said there, it's like the story of Whitey Bulger. You know, Whitey his Bulger. brother, like he was the... Johnny Depp played him in a movie recently. He was the Irish mob gangster from Boston. Oh, yeah. But he was mm-hmm. a high-profile one. You know who else was based on him? Jack Nicholson in The Departed was kind of based on Whitey Bulger. But he was a real... Psych- he's a psychopath, but he was like a real big gangster for all decades in Boston. And his brother was like a well-to-do... Well, well-to-do, I think he was a wee bit shifty, but he was like... I can't remember what position it was but it was high up in po- American politics so mm-hmm. they had the contrast of you know psychopathic gangster and presentable politician sort of thing from the same family so you either uh, went uh, one way yeah. or went the other in some of those days wasn't it you either became the thief to steal your stuff or you buckled down and got to great places because you didn't have much else to do I, it can be hard. I think a lot of it's down to environment my dad also used to run a soup kitchen in Airdrie for the best part of 10-15 years and originally when he first started up, it was the homeless guys who were alcoholics. 
they yep. all eventually they would all die because eventually they would the drink would get the better of them. But then more drugs came in, and it then it, they all got replaced with it went from fifty year old men with with drug problems to twenty year old boys who were addicted to heroin. Yeah. So I used to come in and, and kind of help. John and Quentin and I would go in and kind of help him every now and then. And I always, I, I always, my dad was so much more patient. I, 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 you know, that I always noticed that he had a lot more patience with people who were in that situation. Not that I didn't, but I, he certainly was more tolerant. And he did say once, it's that situation where, well, I, well, I had a mom and dad who, who cared about me and try, you know, and yeah. he knew a lot of the guys that he grew up with. It, it's that sort of. But for the grace of God, go I sort of thing. It's like, well, that could have I could have been the guy who had an abusive father or 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 all these things going on in my life, and that could have affected me. And I could have been I could be on the other side of that table. So he was always very sort of willing just to just accept it and not worry about you know the situation that led to all these things happening. That's the way um, we should see it, Dom. You know that that. There, that's something I didn't actually realise till a few years back. That uh, I get a book off my friend called Chasing the Scream. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about you know people's addiction to drugs. So mm-hmm. he tells the story through like the dealer, through the importer, through to the junkie, affluent neighbourhoods affected, even not just poor areas, and it put it all together. And it is, as you say, is just abusive backgrounds and things that have happened that they're just escaping from that reality and they get into it and you see a, like a junkie or something you're like fucking junkies are the worst you know scumbags and stuff but that doesn't help looking at it that way no, obviously, it, it, obviously doesn't, it, it doesn't it doesn't change it but and, it makes you understand places. why they got to that place and you know you get a wee bit more empathy like actually I know I'd, again this is a public forum so we're not mentioning names but I grew up in a scheme at the back of Faithfully right at a time that it was really deprived. Uh, after mm-hmm. we were one of the last to move out, and I would always say like it's because my mum made that a real nice place. That when we moved away, somebody else actually moved in after us when most of it was boarded up. This block of flats, and it was like, mm-hmm. really hellish. But my mum made a wee beautiful wee place for us to have there. And I remember a boy that stayed in the street behind us. I'd seen him just the other day, and you know, with this uh, coronavirus lockdown sort of thing, you you walk by the pharmacies, you're seeing a lot of these people addicted to drugs waiting yeah. on their fix. And I seen a boy who was like, I think he was like, he was a couple of years younger than me, and he walked by me. He was on the phone. He walked by me. He probably wouldn't even recognise me. And oh my god, man, he is beat up really bad with his lifestyle of drugs and stuff his face was a mess you know from guessing from beatings and taking these drugs the, the effects it's had on him and i just like wow i remember him i went fishing a, a few times up the hills and things hmm. and he was such a nice boy as well and he had a very difficult background and i'm just thinking you know just like oh god's sake man it's horrible but we get caught in our lives so much you're like oh these people and stuff but they are they're lost souls it's a real tough life and your dad to do stuff like that like i would like to do stuff like that so i should do stuff like that but sometimes i feel life is so chaotic but it's probably just laziness that i'm just not using my time wisely enough to do things that i'd like to do to make me and make a difference so your dad doing stuff like that says i instantly was just drawn to your dad when i first met him he's some boy honestly what's your dad's first well, name my dad's first name's Quentin. Yeah. So grew up in a rough East End housing estate. Where yeah, he, it was like a, it's like a boy named Sue. It was going to take him uh, one abs- way or the other. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's it's a family name. It goes back to like my great grandfather awesome. and my great great grandfather. It just goes all the way back to 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 Ireland, and um, 
well, it's obviously it's a French name, and got told, I think, that there was a, way back in like the 19th century, the, there was, there was a, a French guy who, who married my, called Quentin, who married my great-great-grandmother or great-great-great-great-grandmother or something like that, and, and, and the name just got passed on from there. So my, my eldest <laughs> brother, his, his name's Quentin as well. And it was. It, you he's know, the toughest thought, guy yeah. in the street. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah. My dad was. He said, "Yeah, it was, it was a tough place to grow up." You know, it was like it was just getting any fights and getting getting thrown in prison cells was just normal. Uh, you know, you know, you, <laughs> you need to you need to be able to take care of yourself if you're going to live there. And your name's Quentin. Ah, he's, he's done uh, well. He's lived the dream because he says he's got used guys that in your mum and. Very loving family, and I says that house is just a crack me place. I says like when I went, I'm like you beauty, dead in like an enchanted forest, just with his uh, wee bits of art and the painting and just the decking. It was brilliant. Was I'll time. pass on your I'll pass on your best wishes the next time I see him, which who knows when that'll be. But uh, when I, I finally know, see him, I'll let him know. Are you doing the sort of social media thing, or are you go uh, looking through well, windows, or are you just doing your own thing? Oh yeah, we've done we've done a couple of like like uh, my mum and dad aren't very tech at all, so Zoom's out. We tried that. My mum's like, I, I don't know how to work this. We tried Skype. That was out. I installed WhatsApp on her phone so she could get videos of the grandkids, but this was like a couple of years ago. That's so a I've, blessing I've man- as well. Uh, yeah, I've managed to get video chat, a couple of wee video chats. But my mum does this thing where she holds it really close to her face, so you can only see like her eyes and her nose. <laughs> Up her and, nose. Like, yeah, and she's just it's yeah and. It, so uh, you know, <laughs> Vanessa's her family are much more sort of tech savvy. You know, they're all they're all framed properly <laughs> in the videos, but my mum's not at all. And then she, she this sugarly she passes it over to my dad. My dad doesn't know how to hold that either. So we've done we've done some video chats and stuff. It was it was my youngest. It was her birthday on Monday, so they we did some video stuff then. And yeah, and I, well, a wee bit of social. You know, I've I've dropped them some supplies and stuff like that. So yeah. I've seen them, but not not really. No, you're not you know. you're not connected with people. And it says it's definitely the hardest thing that. We didn't. I think don't many many people realised how much we're missing connecting with each other. You know the people you love, your mates. Just even I hope that things can get back to normal. I don't know what's going to happen, but um, there's... I don't think anyone really knows. I think we're gonna. I'm just guessing here, but I would imagine when this part of the lockdown ends, they'll possibly uh, sixty forty. They'll ease it off a bit. Are you getting your season ticket money back? Well, I haven't, I haven't re- renewed yet. So, so I, I, for, as for the, the games that have been cancelled, I, I have no idea. I don't, I don't mind just. I honestly, I'm happy for the club to keep the money if it helps the club. You know, I'm not going to be chasing them for it. And it's just that I've, I've held off on the season ticket renewal, which I intend to renew. I'm just going to wait till we're a wee bit more further into this and we know what's going to happen. And but, yeah, uh, I'm not, I'm not looking to chase the money. I've had a couple of. Like my wife does a Pilates class, and the lady that organises that she's doing it on Zoom now, and she's like, yeah. "Well, listen, you know, if you want to, you can pay me less." But most people are just saying it's fine; we'll just pay the normal kind of rate, and and that's so. I, yeah, I, I I I'm quite a solitary person, by the way. I, you know, the, the I've, thing got, about I've this got many is... hobbies as well. I'm I'm kind of I'm not the worst, you know. I've got things I can crack on with as well. So I'm kind of like you, you know, like we like movies. Uh, I love reading online or books and stuff, so I do that. But obviously, a bit harder with yeah, kids and I, I things. Like, but I'll, we've had movie like nights on my own. We 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 and wife yeah, cook all the time. Nights. We've had a few. We had a movie night with her eldest. She got to watch a movie on on Monday there for being semi good. Term- Not- Terminator Two by Big Army. <laughs> 
No, what was it? It was Frozen <laughs> 2. Frozen 2. That was it. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> but, so we sat and watched that. And uh, what we did when this all first kicked off, I, I got a bunch of movies, like classic comedy movies out and I said to him I was like to my wife I don't want to I don't want to watch some dark drama I, I want to watch something funny to lift the spirits because the world's dark enough right now so we've yeah. been watching like the Naked Gun movies and watching Airplane and Three Amigos Three Amigos that's my mum's favourite movie that's my mum's oh, favourite Three Amigos is magic mate it's magic <laughs> it's got one of the best jokes ever executed in a movie which is your your uh, your song you know My Little Buttercup Oh, you like that the funniest, one, yeah? Oh, just brilliant. It's such a well-executed joke. They I'll, set it up so well. I love Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase is good. He's, he he did... Um, nobody likes him. In, he's I think nobody, to be likes a, him in re, nobody likes him in real life. That's what I mean. That's yeah, why but, he's kind of disappeared. He's, yeah, that's true. I, but I, 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 I heard you, it. Have you ever seen him on, I don't, I think it just, it's like Johnny Carson's show or something. He's on a talk show with Richard Pryor mm-hmm. and they've got a bit of going back and forth, slagging each other, but it's a bit spiteful and things and I've, I've heard stuff. He was actually on the, uh, McDonald. What's the Canadian comedian? McDonald. Uh, uh, He's a he's in movies all the time. He's a pretty actually he's a pretty bad actor, but he's a funny guy. Oh, McDonald. That's gonna annoy me. Or McDonald guy, big tall Canadian uh, actor. Just put Canadian McDonald actor. Norm. Canadian Mc- Norm. 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 Norm McDonald. Yes. Norm McDonald. Right. Uh, he he actually had a he done a, a video on YouTube with Chevy, and it was really funny actually. And you can kind of tell I mean, he's a dick, but he's a funny dick. I've I uh, yeah I've I've heard a lot of stories about. Uh, there's a great book you should read. You should read William Goldman's autobiography. William the Goon. screenwriter, the, William Goldman. He was a screenwriter, so he wrote he wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. He wrote The Princess Bride. He wrote The Marathon Man. He wrote All the President's Men. He was an author. He was a novelist, and he was a screenwriter. He was very very successful and very very good. And he wrote two autobiographies. One's called. Adventures in the Screen Trade, and the other's called Which Lie Did I Tell? And in Which Lie Did I Tell, how he breaks the book down is he does a chapter on each movie that he worked on and just tells the story of the experience of working on the movie. And he wrote the screenplay for The Memoirs of an Invisible Man, which was the Chevy Chase film from the 1980s that bombed. And that chapter in the book, which is like the first kind of chapter, I think it actually is the first chapter in the book, is hysterically funny because it's just... it's like how it all kicks off. It's like he gets hired to write this movie and it's I think it's Ivan Reitman who was directing it at the time who made Ghostbusters. So you yep. can imagine the kind of the tone that they, they wanted to go for. So William Golden's like, great, brilliant, I'll do that. He's writing a draft, puts the draft in and then Chevy Chase gives him this note that says, I really hope that the next draft explores the pain of invisibility. <laughs> so, <laughs> so William Goldman's like, this is a phone agent. I'm like... There's a, there's an effort there there's a there's a fucking train wreck coming and I'm in the middle of it. I said that this director who wants to make a goofy movie about an invisible man and the actor thinks we're going to make this serious thing about the pain of people not being able to see you and I'm the one that's expected to make them both happy. So oh, it's really funny. He's very witty. I would recommend read any of his books. Like even if you read like the the novel of the Princess Bride, which is absolutely superb. You know, it was a novel long before it was it was a film. He's Andre very the Giant's in that. Andre the Giant's in it. He writes a great part. He talks about Andre the Giant in the book. It is really interesting. William Goldman died. I think it was only last year he died. Um, 
but uh, it's it's great and it's yeah the the chapter on Chevy Chase the quote the quote that was hysterical was he said without being disparaging he's like Chevy Chase has a point to an extent he said that you know there is something in exploring a character who can't be seen in the pain and the anguish of people no longer and the quote he says I d- I'm not against exploring the pain of invisibility. I just don't want to explore it with Chevy Chase. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like, you're not a serious, that t- you're not that guy. You're not the guy who does the serious thing about, no, you're, you're, you're sort of a goofball. Um, it was brilliant. It's really funny. I would highly recommend that book to anyone who, who likes movies. You, you'll love it. So you're looking forward to maybe this coming to an end soon so you can crack on with some of your projects? Oh, man, I, I really am. Are you, are you writing ju- just now? I am. I, I, I literally just finished a short film today. Um, it's the first draft, but... Uh, the first draft, draft is shit, is what uh, Ari Shafir... No, Ari Shafir is a standard comedian. He's got a laptop, and he's got a reprinted thing up the top of his uh, laptop that says, the first draft is shit. Yeah, that's true. But bearing in mind the draft that you send people that you call yeah. your first draft for notes is not actually your first draft. No, that's no like way. your fifth or sixth draft. That's just the draft that you're willing to show people. Yes. So the very, like, yeah. the very, the bare raw first draft is like I wouldn't show it to anyone. It's like a photograph. Like you think people that don't re- like people don't realize that like did you Photoshop that picture? Every amazing <laughs> photograph out there has had post work to it. Of course. More than, well, I, I should take that back. More than most, because obviously there are just pictures that are special for whatever reason, but I just mean, like, if you see a picture, it's not straight or a camera, it's been refined, you know, mm-hmm. it's, and it's just like writing as well. It's just, you need to filter it down and get it till it's right. Well, it, it's the, essentially what you're trying to do with your first draft is have something that you can show to people that you, you hope isn't a complete disgrace. Yeah, they, they, they can change it up as well. Yeah, exactly. And then you're just like, you know, one of the good bits of advice I always got from someone, and it's not actually all that practical when you're working on something that's actually rolling, but is that when you write a draft, put it in a drawer for three months, don't look at it, and then come back, because then you forget, you start reading it, and it's like you never wrote it. It's like reading someone else's script, because you forget that you wrote it's weird it's, it's like reading someone else's thing then all the problems with it start to jump out all the things you go that i don't like that i don't like that part as so you're able to look at it as you get too close to something this is one of the big problems you get emotionally attached to something that you, it says it's you get like, emotionally attached but you get you can it's it's like you're on a it's like being on a or, or, on like a rail and you're going along this rail you just slightly come off to the side a little bit and just coming off to the side starts to pull you all the way you know, as far yeah. away from where you need to be and you don't even realise that's what you're doing. Yeah. It's hard. It's a hard It's a hard thing to do. But at the same time, you've got to trust your own instincts. You've got to trust yourself. You've got to... You've, sometimes you're going to get notes, you're going to get feedback what about, and you have to like, you know, you have to say, look, I, I, I don't think you're right. Jacques Curac used to write on one long bit of paper so he could keep on going and he wouldn't stop. Everyone's got a different discipline. Like there was a writer, I don't know who it was. Was it um, very Raymond? Wasn't it Raymond Chandler? It was a very famous novelist. It's one of those ones. Sal, 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 uh, J D. Sal, Salinger. 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 It might have been him. Where he had a discipline. Where, or it was either him. It was another novelist. But anyway, he would write 
500 words or something like that mm -hmm. exactly every day and then stop. Even if it was mid-sentence, he would just stop, which is bizarre. I don't know, how, but that discipline worked for him. It's probably like a you factory know, thing. You probably worked in a factory. You just work till that buzzer goes and every, then you turn tools. Ev, yeah, every writer's got their own disciplines. Every time you meet a writer, they've got a different discipline, but they all have one thing in common, which is discipline. And yeah. they're all weird and they're all strange, but, you know, I've got sort of weird disciplines myself. You are I, weird. I, you are weird. I am weird. <laughs> I'm only kidding. No, I, I am. I mean, I think you have to be a bit weird to, <laughs> to decide you're going to try and make try and make money out of writing things and people well, it's pay like, um, for it. Stephen King, like he's a proper, but he's actually a really cool guy too. But he is a heavy weirdo. But I was thinking about him, like his stuff's amazing. It really is. I don't think that people realize, even if you're not a big fan, of his. There's mm -hmm. actually, there's probably some of his stuff that you do like, you wouldn't even know it. he'd done it. Like I was saying, he does yeah, yeah. obviously the alias sort of stuff. So he wrote like Running Man. The, yep. Sh the Shawshank Redemption was one of his short yep. stories as well. Stand By Me. Same same uh, short. So I've got the book. I've got Stand By Me, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, uh, The Body. The Body what? was Stand By Me, wasn't it? Sorry, I that's we mixed up. What was the other one? The App Pupil. App Pupil. App Pupil, yep. And uh, Blade Runner, I actually, not Blade Runner, sorry, Marathon Man, no, wait, Running Man. Running Man. I wrote, I, I read Running Man. I read well, the book. I can't remember what the other one is, but I was just like, you know what, I don't know if this is actually, I should actually check, but it was four short stories in this book, and I'm like, three of the four of these are wicked movies, you know what I mean? Like, really, I hate what, like, sorry, Shawshank Redemption yeah. is like one of the best cinematic movies ever. Yeah, well, Shawshank's amazing. And, Shawshank's and, absolutely and amazing. The Body, which went to be on Stand By Me, is like... Stand By Me is awesome. Oh, Stand By Me is good. It's what good, a movie. What it's a story. Good as it gets, really. Stephen King uh, wrote Misery, which you you know the movie. The we Catholic watched that. Movie. Me, me and Kirsty watched that just uh, two weeks ago. Well, that was William Goldman that did the adapt. William Goldman did the adaptation of Misery. But so, the screenwriter... The screenwriter, he adapted the book for okay. the movie. So in his autobiography, which I just recommended, there's a chapter on misery, which is great. Oh, Again, it's great. Are you, a, are bit, you an affiliate there's... seller? Are you making... No, there's just... There's... Royalties? I'm just, I'm just, I just love the... There's a big story about how the, the, the famous scene in the film with the, with the sledgehammer uh, is different from what happens in the book. In the book, it's far more violent. And <laughs> it's pretty brutal, basic, man. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, well, in the book, it's horrendous. And um, he, William Goldman, wanted to do it as was written in the book uh -huh. and fell out with all these directors because they were all saying, I ain't filming that, I ain't filming that scene. And it's re again, it's really funny. It's just, it's really, because he's very witty. It's a great story. And, I might uh, check that out. I've never heard of that before, this guy. Misery's good, but I, I read somewhere that Stephen King doesn't like... He doesn't like... Only at, you know, any adaptations of his work, no. the only ones he's ever liked are shit ones. I think like shit movies you've never heard of. No, I think it was Stand by Me, and I think it was well, Shawshank Redemption. It might have been but not. he doesn't like he doesn't like he doesn't like Misery, even though Misery's good. Um, Misery's brilliant. Kathy Bates is amazing in that. She is, and yeah, even James brilliant. Can, who can be a bit of the you wouldn't really picture him in that role really, because obviously he's quite a tough guy and to be. But I guess that kind of works to juxtapose that he's helpless. It does, but but it hey, does, he's it brilliant in great. it. He's brilliant in it. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's a wicked um, movie. It's funny how he must see these and go, I don't like that. When we go, no, mate, it's amazing. Shut up. Just keep on Also writing. made by, I think, Rob Reiner. Did he direct it or produce it? I, I think was actually, he's done both. 
I don't know. I'd have to check that. But uh, I was, I hadn't seen it for years. And I'm like, is it going to hold up? Sometimes you go and you think, because I remember it was all when you were young. It's like, oh, wait till you see the legs and stuff. And Kathy Bates is nuts. But we watched it back and I'm like, nah, that is class. That is well made. Not. I think she won, did she won the Oscar for it? I think Kathy Bates won, I think she won an Oscar for deserved. it. I'm pretty sure she did. Deserved. Yeah, well, it's a great movie. Yeah, it is a great movie. I've not seen it in a long, long time. I don't get to watch scary movies. Vanessa's terrified. Like, she will not watch a scary movie. Ever. Like, even the mildest of scary movies, you know, like Jaws, which she's seen before. Yep. That's my wife's favourite movie. That's my wife's well, favourite movie. Vanessa, she, she, she'll, jump out her, she'll jump out her skin at all the bits that she's already seen. <laughs> it's crazy. So, like, everything that I hear about a really good scary movie, she says, nah, you're watching that on your own. And, <laughs> you know, what what happens is, like, with the, with the you know, with the little time you get in the evenings... Yeah, when you've got young you kids, you, you need to find a, a happy medium, don't you? Yeah, so we have to watch something we're both willing to watch. Exactly. So I, I don't get to see scary films at all anymore. I, I haven't seen a scary film in a long, long time. I don't get to. Well, yeah, I'll get back to that one day. Speaking of time, I think that's pretty much a good time to start to wrap this up, mate, because I think we could talk forever. So I'm hoping when this kind of settles down, or if it doesn't, that we can do this again because I think we've yeah. got plenty to talk still. I'd love to know, Absolutely. maybe, I don't know how you can, sometimes you can't talk about stuff, but I think people would like to know a bit more about your writing and what you, you have wrote and what you are writing as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, I, I, I would like, because I say, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no means a writer, but as I said to you, I quite like writing wee witty stories and stuff, even in social media and stuff, and I'm trying to add that in with my photographs as well. Because I remember a lecture that says, a writer gets paid more than a photographer, but a photographer who writes makes more. And I didn't ever understand how that worked, but he says, basically, the right way you make the money, he says, but see if you can write and take pictures as well. He says, that's, you're encompassing it all. So I would like to, on a personal level, I'd love to talk to you again, but I'd like to talk about stuff like that as well, mate. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much. I know you're busy with the girls and stuff, and I really appreciate you coming on to have a chat with me, mate, right? No problem. We'll do it again when we can do it face to face. No, we'll do it again, that's it. Hopefully it will be face-to-face, okay? <laughs> it will be face-to-face. I don't know when that will be, but it will be... <laughs> we'll do it. We'll definitely get it done, mate. Thank good, you. For... Good, man. It's been fun. It has. It's good, eh? Aye, uh, absolutely. Right, okay. I'll speak to you soon, mate. Take care. All the Bye best. Mate. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye.